Amen, brothers and sisters. Well, if you would, open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. We'll take our starting text this morning from Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. Hear the word of the Lord, verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And then I'll read verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Let's pray one more time. Father in heaven again, we need Your Spirit to come and work deeply in us. Lord, remove every distraction and help us to hear clearly Uh, what Your Spirit says to us, that we might be sanctified and bring You glory. We pray it in Your Son's name. Amen. Last week, if you remember, uh, we began a five-week Advent series where we really want to build out the coming of Christ from the Old Testament. And these sermons, as you will see today and going forward, they're going to build onto one another as we move closer and closer to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And I think that's a very helpful approach to something like this because that's how God tells His story in the Bible. That's how the Bible comes down to us. Remember last week, uh, we looked at what is called the covenant of works and how Adam, as the federal head of all humanity, disobeyed God and hence brought forth death onto all his offspring, which is everybody who has ever been born. And so rather than enjoying unhindered communion with God as they exercised dominion over the earth and filled it with image bearers, Adam and Eve ate of the tree that God commanded them not to eat from, and spiritual death entered into the world through that transgression. Yet immediately... After that transgression, rather than destroying Adam and Eve, God curses the serpent, rather, who tempted Eve to sin, and He promises Eve that though it will be painful, she will have offspring. And although the offspring of the serpent will make war against her offspring and they will have enmity, ultimately God promises to bring forth from Eve a deliverer who will deal the serpent a fatal and final blow. That's what we call the Proto-Evangelium. Genesis 3.15. And as the Old Testament unfolds, more and more is revealed about this coming serpent-crushing offspring of Eve. And so the, the story of the Old Testament in a nutshell is how God makes good on His promise to Eve. And so we talked about the covenants in the Bible. And when we read our Bibles correctly, we see that the covenants actually hold the Bible story together. And they build off of one another. For example, the Abrahamic covenant is actually dependent on God's faithfulness to the Noahic 
covenant. Because if God is going to make Abraham as numerous as the sand of the sea, who will dwell in the land of Canaan, God must remain true to his promise to Noah that he will not again destroy the earth. And that he will sustain it and keep it and preserve it. The Mosaic covenant likewise can only be established because God has kept his covenant with Abraham. And has brought his offspring out of Egypt and into the land of Canaan. And then God covenants with David to make one of his sons sit on the throne of Israel forever. Which is the same offspring that God promises to Abraham through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Which is the same offspring that God promised to Eve who would bruise the head of the serpent. Do you see this? The Messiah is more clearly revealed as the Old Testament unfolds through a series of covenants that are not separate from one another, but rather build off of one another and are dependent upon one another. And so today, we're going to step forward a few thousand years from Genesis chapter 3, from Adam and Eve in the garden, and we're going to look at the Abrahamic covenant while keeping in the back of our minds God's promise to Eve in Genesis 3 15. And what we will see, Lord willing, is that Eve's serpent-crushing offspring is more fully revealed and fleshed out in the Abrahamic covenant. And ultimately, I want to show us that the offspring that God promises to Abraham, who will mediate blessing to the entire world, is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let me acknowledge that there is a danger here, and maybe some of you are already Uh, raising a concern this seems like really high level material right Uh, this seems like something you might study in a seminary class but why would you preach a sermon on something like this and I'll acknowledge there is a temptation to speak of these things merely in the abstract so that the only thing that is really gained is maybe more uh, bible knowledge and so how do we avoid that pitfall well we have to recognize that we are a part of this story This is your story. Abraham's story is your story. We all, as we saw last week, come into the world dead in our trespasses and sins in Adam. Ephesians 2, 1-3 states this very clearly. Paul says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And listen, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is us. This is who we are. And so we must take very seriously what God promises to Abraham. This is the story of humanity. Yet, because God has faithfully kept His promises those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ are no longer children of wrath, but sons of God and destined for eternal life. And when it comes to Abraham specifically, we are all directly involved. Look at our starting text for this morning, Galatians 3.7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. If you are united to Christ by faith this morning, you are a child of Abraham. 
Paul calls you Abraham's children, though probably none of us are biologically connected to Abraham. We are called children of the man that God called out of Ur of the Chaldeans nearly 4,000 years ago. Let me illustrate this. Uh, my brother has done some extensive inquiry into the Langham uh, family line, the Langham name. And, and I don't mean the thing that you just kind of send in a, a saliva sample and they send you back a map and it kind of has a chart for where you may be, thr- may, may be from. No, he's actually dug into birth records and war roll records and he's been able to trace our, the Langham name back to about the 1500s. And, he, and he's been able to see how we came from Europe to North Carolina and then down the Atlantic Ocean and then eventually into the Gulf of Mexico and up the Alabama River to Hale County, Alabama, which is where the Langham name has resided for many years and still does to this day, which then explains how my dad made it to Mobile or my grandpa made it to Mobile and had my dad who then left to go to Kentucky to play baseball and married my mom where he had us in a poor county in Harlan County, Kentucky. And so when you, when you have some of this information, it's almost like you can make better sense of who you are. And to use some very psychologized language, it's as if it helps me interpret myself and my situation and my family and my upbringing. It helps me to see why I am the way I am, again, using some psychologized language, but it puts you into a story. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, more than any biological record, this is the story we must interpret ourselves from. This is the story we must use to make sense of ourselves and our situation and our family. You should interpret yourself and your existence in light of God's revelation. I suggest that if we are going to understand our story accurately, we must understand Abraham's story accurately. There's much at stake here. There's another major religion in the world that believes it comes from Abraham. This is vitally important. God's faithfulness to save you in Jesus Christ is dependent upon His faithfulness to keep His promises to Abraham. Guys, covenant theology is not some doctrinal flag that we want to wave around and and just think that it's cool. Covenant theology makes sense of the way God has redeemed humanity. Covenant theology shows us that while there are 66 books of the Bible with 40 different authors written over the course of about 1,500 years, Ultimately, the Bible has one author telling a unified story about how God entered into the world to redeem sinners through Jesus Christ and how He has reconciled them to Himself. And so what is the Abrahamic covenant? God appears to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and promises him land and offspring and that through his offspring, It says, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Genesis 12, 1-3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then the promises are expounded upon from Genesis 12 through about Genesis 22. And the promise is confirmed in Genesis 15 when God makes a covenant with Abraham. And if you remember the story, God commands Abraham to cut up some animals and lay them over against each other. And he makes Abraham fall into a deep sleep. And God himself passes through the animals and swears that he will fulfill his promise to Abraham. And then in Genesis 17, the promise is unpacked even further when God promises that kings will come from Abraham. Genesis 17, 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. That's interesting because what did God command to Adam and Eve back in Genesis 1, 28? Be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth. And here, what does he promise to Abraham? That he will make him exceedingly fruitful and that he will make kings to come from his offspring. And what do kings imply? A kingdom which presupposes dominion. And so God, in effect, promises Abraham that he will accomplish through his offspring what he created Adam and Eve to do in the beginning. To have dominion over the earth as they fill it with image bearers. And God's blessing will be upon them as they rule. But then also in Genesis 17, we see the offspring, the singular offspring through which the whole world would be blessed would come through not Ishmael, but Isaac. Genesis 17, 18-19. Sarah is barren, if you remember, and, and Abraham says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God says, no, but your wife Sarah shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. And listen to this. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I will multiply him and make him a great nation, but I will, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac. So here is an important theological concept that Paul will build out later in Romans 9. Ishmael is connected to Abraham by genealogy. And he is a part of the covenant through circumcision. However, when it comes to the Abrahamic covenant's fullest purpose, the everlasting covenant, the narrative hones in on Isaac. Then Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. And again, Esau is a biological, has a biological connection to Abraham and he is circumcised. Yet, God chooses to restore and, and bring forth the everlasting covenant through Jacob, and he rejects Esau. And then later, Jacob has 12 sons, and at the end of his life, when he blesses the sons, he says concerning Judah, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sh sons shall bow down before you. And then listen, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So even in Genesis, when the focus is primarily on physical offspring and physical land and physical circumcision, we already see that the fullest purpose of the Abrahamic covenant is not merely that Abraham's offspring 
would be blessed in the land of Canaan, but it's that God would bring forth a singular offspring from the tribe of Judah that will put his foot on his enemies' necks and he will restore his people and they will be blessed in him as they worship him and obey him. Not just those who are of Abraham's physical descent, but those who are children of Abraham because they have the faith of Abraham. In the Old Covenant, males identified themselves as being connected to Abraham by circumcision. And so parents would give their children the mark of circumcision to show that they are part of the covenant. It was the sign that male children took that legitimized their place in the covenant community. But in the new covenant, there's a major shift that takes place. Paul says in Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, there is neither circumcision, or he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So the sign of the old covenant, circumcision in the Old Testament, was a type of the antitype of the sign of the new covenant, which, as we saw a few weeks ago, is not baptism, but is regeneration. We could say faith. Listen to how Paul explains this in Romans 4, 16-17. This is why it depends on, not circumcision, on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace, not works, and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. So when we do proper biblical hermeneutics, we see that God's ultimate intent for the Abrahamic covenant is to bring forth this deliverer from Genesis 3.15 who would bruise the serpent's head, exercise godly dominion over all the earth, and mediate blessing to all the families and all the nations of the earth as they come to Him, bow their knee to Him, and worship Him. So ultimately, Abraham's offspring are not those who descend from Him and take the mark of circumcision, but those who have personally believed the same Gospel that Abraham believed. Those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are Abraham's offspring, and they shall rule and reign with Christ forever as His image bears. And I'm zealous for us to see this, brothers and sisters. But if we are going to see this, we must understand a vital hermeneutical principle. Uh, Pastor John Mark mentioned this last week, and we've mentioned it many times over the years, that if we really want to understand the Old Testament, we have to understand it in light of what has been revealed in the New Testament. So although we begin in Genesis and read it from beginning to end, we begin reading it in the beginning in light of what the end says. In light of what the apostles and the Lord Jesus have said about these things. This is what has been called the analogy of Scripture. The analogy of Scripture is essentially this, that when we set out to interpret a biblical text, especially in the Old Testament, we can look at other biblical texts, especially in the New Testament, that speak of that previous text, 
or at least speak of the same event or the same doctrine, and we make sense of that previous text in light of the later text. And it's a massively important hermeneutical process that we must engage in. And now I will confess that the Abrahamic covenant can get very, very complicated. And it is very multi-layered because you have Abraham's offspring in general, such as Ishmael and Esau, who are connected to Abraham. And in a sense, they do receive blessing. We see this in the Old Testament. But then you have the specific line of Israel who the Deliverer will come from through Isaac and through Jacob and through Judah. And these are the people that God delivers from the Exodus and makes a covenant with them to be their God as they will be His people and to give them the land of Canaan if they will obey His voice. And so you already see, even in the beginning, that God deals with different parts of Abraham's offspring in different ways. But then in the New Testament, we start hearing some really, really interesting things. We see immediately in Matthew 3, John the Baptist come on the scene and say to the religious leaders, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. He says, even now the axe is laid to the, fruit of, to the root of the trees, Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And he tells them to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And then, even more shocking, Jesus in John 8, telling the uncircumcised religious leaders, he tells them not to claim that they are sons of Abraham because of their physical descent. He says in John 8, 39-41, if you are Abraham's children you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father. And he says in verse 44, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. So Jesus is in effect saying, although Jews, although you come from Abraham's physical descent, Abraham is not actually your father. And God is not your father. Your father is the devil because you do your father's will. And it gets even more shocking. Listen to Paul on this in Romans 9, 6-9. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are Abraham's descendants are they all his children. On the contrary, though through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. So it is not the children of the flesh who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as offspring. That's astonishing. That Paul is saying you can be Abraham's offspring, but not be Abraham's offspring. You can be an Israelite, but not be a real Israelite. You can have the sign of circumcision, but ultimately be cut off unto eternal destruction and not share in Abraham's blessing. Or as John the Baptist put it, cut down and thrown into the fire if you do not bear fruit. So when you get to the New Testament, you get the sense that the Abrahamic covenant was never fully about Abraham's physical offspring or circumcision or the land of Canaan. 
And when it comes to the merely physical offspring and physical land, the Old Testament seems to speak as if these promises have already been fulfilled. Joshua 21, 43-45 Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that He swore to give their fathers. And they took possession of it. And they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side just as He had sworn to their fathers. Not one of their enemies had withstood them. For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Listen, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And then, when describing, describing Solomon's rule in 1 Kings 4, 20-21, it says this, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. That's straight out of Genesis 22.17 where God promises that Abraham's offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand that is on the seashore. And then listen again to how Solomon's reign is described. Solomon ruled over. Hear the language. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon. All the days of his life. So listen, this is vital. The Abrahamic covenant is not an end in itself. It is a type of an anti-type. It has a fulfillment. It has a final realization. Because here's the thing. Though the blessing of Abraham seems to be most fully realized under Solomon's rule and reign, what happens a few chapters later in 1 Kings Chapter 11, Solomon disobeys, doesn't he? And he marries 700 wives, most of them foreign, and and they provoke him to worship their gods. And it says that he does not wholly follow the Lord, but he turned away from wholly following the Lord in his old age. So again, although God fulfills His promises to Abraham and brings them to pass by multiplying Israel, giving them the land of Canaan, And although we at least begin to taste universal blessing coming through the offspring, Solomon, ultimately we see that the promised deliverer from Genesis 3.15, the offspring through whom the nations would be blessed, is still in the future. And is still to come. And so what is the ultimate purpose of the Abrahamic covenant? to give rise to the nation that would bring forth the Messiah. This is also true of the Mosaic Covenant and the Davidic Covenant. These covenants are not an end in themselves. But God makes these covenants with people in history in order to bring forth the Deliverer, the Redeemer. This is what we mean when we say the Bible's story is told through a series of covenants. And the prophetic promise of of an offspring in Genesis 3.15 is realized a little bit more fully in the Abrahamic covenant. And then a little bit more fully in the Davidic covenant until ultimately it is fully and finally realized in the new covenant. The covenant of grace wherein God restores sinners to Himself through through the mediatorial work of the true Son of Abraham. And He renews His image in His people that had been marred by sin. And He gives all authority in heaven and on earth to the Son who will one day come back to judge the earth with equity. 
And all who belong to Him will be given new resurrected bodies in a new resurrected creation where they will dwell with God and the Lamb. Where they will rule and reign as a kingdom of priests to God. Where the prophecy of Habakkuk 2.14 will be fully realized. For the earth will be filled with the glory, with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The Abrahamic covenant is not the new covenant, but the new covenant is within it. The Abrahamic covenant is not the new covenant, but the new covenant is within it. Listen to how Sam Renahan explains this concept. From its inception, the Abrahamic covenant is not just anticipating the new covenant, but carrying it within itself. The old covenant is pregnant with the new covenant. It promises the new covenant because it promises the mediator of the new covenant to be born from their midst. The Abrahamic covenant provides Christ. Christ provides the new covenant. The new covenant is fully dependent upon God being faithful to His promise to Abraham. And when you view it this way, suddenly you read Genesis 15 where God passes through those animals and swears to Himself to bring about His promises. You read it a little bit differently. This is why it's so astonishing. When God makes that covenant with Abraham, it's not Abraham that passes through the animals. It's God. It's not Abraham that places himself under a curse. It's God. Because if God does not fulfill His promise to Abraham, then the Messiah cannot come. And all of us are still in Adam, dead in our sins and trespasses. Your salvation banks on the fact that God fulfills His promise to Abraham, brothers and sisters. And this leads us back to where we started. Look at Galatians 3.8. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Where does this quote, in you shall all the nations be blessed, come from? It comes from God's promise to Abraham back in Genesis 12-22 to in a series of statements where God reveals His promises to Abraham that He would give him offspring and that He would give these offspring land and that through a specific offspring, blessing would come. But according to Paul, when God promised to Abraham that He would give him offspring through whom all the nations would be blessed, God preached the Gospel to Abraham. This is without doubt one of the most astonishing texts in the entire Bible. 1,800 years before Christ, God appears to a man who is not a Yahweh worshiper and preaches the Gospel to him. Evangelizes him. And Abraham believes it and it's counted to him as righteousness. Abraham puts his faith in the offspring and believes that Yahweh will do this and he is saved. This is why I struggle with any notion whatsoever that any people at any time were saved by keeping the works of the law. Abraham was saved 
by believing in Jesus Christ in the same way that you are saved by believing in Jesus Christ. Or maybe I should flip it. You are saved by believing in Jesus Christ in the same way that Abraham was saved by believing in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the Abrahamic covenant in terms of a physical people marked about by physical circumcision being entitled to a physical land I believe, I see in Scripture that that has run its course and passed away. But the Abrahamic covenant as it has been fully realized in the new covenant has been fulfilled in the new covenant and has accomplished its purpose in every promise God has made good on. This is why Matthew opens his genealogy of Christ this way. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. When you read that, Matthew wants you to remember God's promise to David. And he wants you to remember God's promise to Abraham. And he's saying, Jesus Christ is the offspring. He's the son of David. He's the offspring of Abraham. He's the one through whom the families of the earth will be blessed. He's the deliverer. He's the redeemer. He's the king that will mediate blessing to the nations. God has indeed brought forth Abraham's offspring. And this is what we celebrate in this season, isn't it? That God sent forth Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who has kept the covenant of works on our behalf, defeated Satan, crushed his head, defeated death, defeated hell, and mediates blessing to all the nations of the world. As it says down in verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. And the author of Hebrews tells us that even the land of Canaan that God gave to Israel was not an end in of itself. But, but he says in Hebrews 11.10 that by faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And he says in verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Brothers and sisters, God has done an incredible thing in the earth by sending Jesus Christ. We will spend all eternity contemplating and glorying in all the benefits that God has provided in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Who could ever imagine that the son of Abraham would be Emmanuel? God with us. I want to end by calling our attention here back to verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What is this blessing? What's the blessing that believers in Jesus Christ (coughs) get to be a part of? Well, we see in the context of Galatians 3 that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law We've received the promised Spirit. 
we've not been justified by works, but by faith, and we stand legally righteous before God. But notice he says, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That heavenly city whose designer and builder is God is coming. And just as because of God's faithfulness to His promise to Abraham, Abraham will be a part of that city. You and I, who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, will be a part of that city. And I'll close with the words of Revelation 21, 2-4. I think this passage captures the fullness of the blessing of Abraham. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is your destination, brother and sister in Christ. Amen. Well, as we come to the table... Let's remember these things. Uh, let's, let's carry these thoughts in our mind as we come and celebrate what Jesus Christ did for us by dying on the cross, shedding His blood for us. And so if you're a visitor here today and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been baptized and you're a part of a local church, we would invite you to come and take the supper with us. If you're not going to come in the red bulletins, there are some prayers that you can pray so that this time can be meaningful for you.